Welcome back. I'm Ashley, your hostess for The Sharp End, a podcast brought to you by the American Alpine Club. Hey, it's snowing. It's time to dust off your skis and snowboards. If you're looking for new gear this year, head to BigSkiSale.com to hook yourself up with skis, boots, helmets, goggles, or outerwear for 50% off or more of the retail price. Josh over at BigSkiSale.com has new 2016, 17, and gently used ski setups for insanely cheap prices. So don't shop anywhere else. Use coupon code THESHARPEND for another 10% off of that already amazing deal. Around sunset on November 7th, 2015, Angela Hughes, 26, was at an anchor on Snake Dyke, grade 357, preparing to repel off of Yosemite Valley's half dome. Her tether system was not effectively clipped to the anchor, and when she weighted the system, it failed. She fell approximately 500 feet to her death. At nine that morning, Angela, Mason, and Samantha started up the mist trail towards Snake Dyke. They were behind schedule because Angela had not arrived at their campsite in Yosemite Valley until 3 a.m. due to commitments in San Francisco. When they reached the base of the route around 11.30 a.m., another party of three was climbing the first pitch. At 1 p.m., after waiting an hour and a half for the other party to clear, Mason began to lead the first pitch. Today, I have the privilege to chat with a ranger from Yosemite National Park. This man was the death investigator of this particular real incident. Welcome to the show, Jesse. Will you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, my name is Jesse McGahey. I'm a ranger in Yosemite National Park. Uh, I've been a climbing ranger since 2006, and I'm one of the supervisors of the, the search and rescue team. I'm a helicopter rescue team member as well, so do a lot of uh, rescue and also uh, climbing in the park. Nice. Well, again, it's so nice to have you on the show. Um, I know that you're a contributor to the book Accidents in North American Climbing, and I read your write-up on the incident that we're going to talk about today. Um, so let's go ahead and start off by having you tell me a little bit about the Snake Dyke route, if you don't mind giving me some background there. Yeah, I, I mean, it's about a seven-pitch climb, so it, which covers about twelve to 1,400 feet of rock. It's fairly easy, uh, technically 5'7", but it has a lot of really long runouts up to 50 feet. And uh, it's slab climbing, low angle slab climbing. When you finish the route, you're only about halfway up the dome, so you still have another uh, probably 1,200 to 1,500 feet of third and fourth class slabs to climb to get up to the top of Half Dome. And once you're at the top of Half Dome, people descend the cables route on the back side and then back down the half dome trail okay so it's a it's a full-on day it's a it's a very long day and i think uh in terms of incidents and uh, rescues that we've had our our accidents that we've had up there people underestimating the time commitment that is needed for that full-on day it's a 
you know, it's not like a seven pitch, five, seven climb that is 20 minutes from the road. You have to hike probably for three to four hours, maybe even five hours, depending on route finding ability to just to get to the base. So, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, how the traditional grading system can affect the way we assume a climb will be. Um, I mean, often people want to tick off the easy routes first, right? So whether they're planning their trip around climbing all the easy classics in the five, six, five, eight range, or they're just kind of warming, using these climbs to warm up for the harder ones, it doesn't really matter. And who, who knows, but either way, they see the five, seven grade in the book and they think it's going to be easy. And so maybe they're just not preparing for the worst because what can go wrong on a five, seven yeah, absolutely. I I think that us, you know, something similar happens for routes like Royal Arches, which is also uh, mostly really easy. It has one little aid section, um, but it's mostly five seven and under. Snake Dyke is like that as well. So Yosemite is mostly harder routes, and so people look through the guidebook and they see there's just a handful of multi pitch routes that are five seven and easier. And Snake Dyke is is one of those. I think a lot of people do do research on online and read about it, but most climbers who climb Snake Dyke actually think it's pretty easy because they're climbing a lot of harder routes. But in the big picture, it's a it's a very full-on day, and like I said, that's in most climbing areas it would be listed as an R or maybe even X route because it's so run out and there's potential for for big falls. So I think uh, yeah that false sense of security of it being rated 5.7 makes people uh, kind of underestimate the preparation that they need to to uh, do in advance and uh, you know the, the time that they're going to need to complete the climb. Yeah, just something to think about. So Jesse, what happened in this particular incident? So um, I took the call but I was uh, in the valley, so I took uh, incident command on the the initial call, and uh, we had another rescue going on on the mist trail already with uh, potentially somebody who was either ill or maybe a sprained ankle or something that ended up not being a, an issue. So we diverted that. Uh, there was a paramedic and a, uh, another ranger and they were close to the top of Nevada Falls, so we diverted them and told them to go up to the base. Um, we had received the call from uh, a party above Angela Use, who was uh, the the decedent in this case. Um, she, that party called 911 and told dispatch that somebody had taken a long fall, and they didn't say that somebody had died, they didn't say that somebody had fallen all the way to the ground, they just said that they had taken a really long fall. And so at that point we didn't know that somebody had actually died. We thought, we were hoping there was a rescue scenario, so we sent those those two up to the base. While they were en route, uh, we heard from uh, the party again that she had actually fallen all the way to the, the ground. Uh, the, the paramedic and the ranger got on scene and confirmed that, that she had died. And the, the next morning, I went up with a, another ranger to, um, we couldn't recover the body that, that night, so we uh, went up the next day, next morning, and um, did a death investigation of the scene, and uh, had a helicopter from 
California Highway Patrol that we work with a lot came in and uh, we hoisted the body out. Okay, so, so you're hiking three to five hours into to a body recovery. Unfortunately, I've, I've done this a lot, I mean, too, too many times. In the last two years, we've had six uh, climber fatalities, and a lot of them have been in similar circumstances to Angela's um, fatality. And, and when I say similar circumstances, it has to do with things that you learn the first week of climbing, such as rappelling, transitioning from climbing to rappelling, uh, rappelling on a fixed line. A lot of what we refer to as belay chain errors, things that have to do with your belay device or your daisy chains or your attachment device to your anchor. So not leader falls, uh, 100% preventable accidents and those out of the six fatalities we had in the last two years they've all been in under those circumstances so what would, you, what would you suggest that you know climbers who are making that transition um what what do you think they should do differently i think uh for one um as you're learning how to rock climb you just need to figure out a way to uh, create habits of checking and double checking everything that you do in those instances where you're where you're changing um, and when you're repelling um, repelling I mean accidents North American mountaineering has had a special section on repelling at least once in the last 10 years I, I recall seeing it because it's contributed to so many accidents but I I think that uh, there's just this feeling of I'm finished with the climb and I'm starting to repel. So your, your awareness maybe decreases a little bit because you have a sense of security, you're on your way down and uh, you're tired too. So you, you're not as sharp and potentially uh, it, during those moments you, you, your awareness is, is shifted. But yeah, I think the, the bottom line is Anytime you're changing anything on, on, at your anchor, on your device, on your harness that is an attachment point to the rope or to your anchor, double check everything. If, if you don't have a partner that you're, you're you know, starting that process of on the ground where you're checking each other's knots and saying, you know, belays on, climbing, climb on. At that moment, you have a partner that is looking at your stuff and you're looking at theirs. But once you're off the ground, a lot of times you're on your own to, to make those 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 checks. And uh, if if you miss something, there's no one else to, to catch it. And that's pretty much what happened in, in Angela Yuse's uh, situation. Is she uh, didn't have she didn't have redundancy in her at her transition point. Um, she was only anchored in with one point, and that point turned out not to be sufficiently anchored. So she didn't have a second piece in there uh, or a second um, attachment point. Uh, she was a newer climber. Her partners weren't there to double check her situation. So at the most dangerous point for her where she had already untied from a rope, she's left on her own and um, failed to double check her, her uh, attachment points before she untied from the rope. And why was Angela by herself at this point? So they decided to uh, 
because it was getting late and it was they were the third pitch and the sun was already setting, uh, the leader, Mason, got up to the anchor and he um, decided that that anchor was not a good rappel point. Angela was in between um, Mason and the third person, Samantha. And uh, Mason asked um, Angela just to stop at this other mid anchor that actually was set up with the wrap rings that it looked like they could uh, repel from more easily. And that, that sounds like a, a fairly good decision uh, just to have less, less points of transition if she can already climb to that anchor and stop there while uh, he belays the, the third person up. That, that should work. But if she's more experienced, Sam, Sam wouldn't have had to uh, you know, untie from the rope and be independent. She could have uh, uh, just kept on. She could have stopped there and belayed the, the third party up to her, her location. So there's a few decisions that they made that seemed like it was just uh, kind of out of haste, like this, this would work, but it wasn't potentially the, the most uh, redundant idea. And so, okay, and so then Angela falls, and then in all the excitement, they hear her scream, and they they wrap down, they wrap down to her. Uh, yeah. So that at that point, um, while when Angela falls, uh, Mason is already belaying Sam up to uh, her point, and Sam was almost even getting ready to traverse over to Angela's location, almost even with her, her uh, location horizontally. And uh, she basically sees Angela fall um, by her. So she was standing on that ledge probably for 20 to 30 minutes without weighting her anchor. So she's never tested it. She's just standing on a little, little ledge, and she was taking pictures with her, her iPhone. So that potentially was distracting her from from what she actually had going on at the anchor. She was very interested in, in uh, um, taking a bunch of photos of what was going on. And at a certain point, she leans back on her anchor. And, it, you know, at that point, since it's not clipped in properly, uh, I think the how it wasn't clipped in properly was um, probably a locking carabiner that was um, stuck in the open position with the screw gate had been screwed shut, but in an open position, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it slipped off for a belay loop somehow. I mean, the way that she, she had clipped in was, was definitely unconventional and not, not a way that I've ever seen uh, climbers um, anchor themselves before. But like I said, she's very new to multi-pitch climbing and she didn't have anybody there to, to point out exactly how to do it. Um, Mason was 20 feet above her and over, you know, maybe 20 feet to the left of her. So he could see her and he thought that, looked down and he thought, okay, that, that looks like that's good enough. I think he, he did remark that it, it looked a little, uh, odd. It wasn't a typical anchoring system, but he didn't speak up about it before she untied. So he. He thought that it was sufficient. Did you talk to Mason and Sam afterwards? I did, yeah. You know, there, there was a, 
a lot of discussion afterwards. And of course they failed, both of them feel horrible. I mean, Mason in particular felt awful. And I, you know, a month, six weeks after the fact, he, he still felt horrible. I mean, that's something that he'll, he'll never be able to, to really recover from. The only thing I can say for, for him is that, you know, accidents happen. And the best thing that we can do out of one of these accidents as a climbing community is everybody can learn from it. And if it prevents some other accidents from happening, because people hear a story like this and they say, you know, like, I want to come home to my loved ones. I, you know, I want to, <laughs> I want to do everything that I can every day I go climbing to be aware of, of any potentially uh, fatal situation or accidental situation. So I think that that's a little bit of solace, but not, not a lot. I mean, you can't ever get your friends back. You can't ever get your loved ones back after a situation like this. Yeah. And Sam too. I mean, she can never unsee. Oh yeah. Angela I mean, Angela falling. If she was hor- right. even horizontally with her walking towards her on that ledge and then, you know, is seeing, probably seeing Angela smiling and like taking selfies or whatever. And then, yeah, I mean, she can never unsee that either. Right. Yeah. No, they, they'll, that'll be etched into their memory for the rest of their lives. And an interesting thing that, that happened. So on their way down, trying to get down to Angela as quick as possible, Angela fell 500 feet because she fell, you know, 300 feet to the base of, of snake dike. But then she fell, there's, you know, a cliff off to the, the right of the base. And she fell another 200 feet down past the base of, of a snake dike route. So, um, they couldn't see cause it was get it was pretty dark at that point. Once they started descending, they couldn't see exactly where she ended up. And, uh, they, uh, Mason and Sam wanted to get down as quick as possible. One of the other parties had, uh, um, left, fixed a rope to try to get down to Angela's location and had already, uh, reported that, that she had, had died, but I think they still wanted to get down as fast as possible. And, uh, Mason on his way down, didn't have, uh, enough rope to get all the way to the base and didn't realize it and actually repelled off the end of the rope, 15 feet above the, the base of snake dike and, landed on on the ground spraining his ankle as well so oh my gosh yeah we almost had a a double fatality situation um from you know similar similar type uh, of error you know just lack of lack of awareness of critical points yeah and i mean not to you can't blame him or shame him for that because it's just it's it's like you you watch your friend fall 500 feet and all all anybody would really want to do is just go to them and tend to them and see what has happened and the damage and see if there's anything that they can do that's like that's human nature is just our desire to help um but yeah again you're totally right you know becoming complacent and and having your brain just filled and be consumed with fear and impulsivity and adrenaline just sort of pulsing through your bones we sometimes we just don't we can't think we can't we can't think clearly and we're acting impulsively and that's when mistakes and accidents are made yeah absolutely i i would say that yeah he's 
just had a traumatic event and he's, you know, kind of, he's probably has tunnel vision. He's thinking about Angela only, not thinking about himself. And yeah, it was a, it was a very close call on that. So what I'm hearing is what, so you, what you would suggest to minimize accidents on snake dikes specifically is do your research. Absolutely. Um, Get plenty of sleep, which this party didn't do because Angela drove in from San Francisco the the night before the climb. Um, so and she didn't arrive in the valley in, into Yosemite Valley until three a.m. So she was probably very tired. Yeah, she was very tired. Yeah. Um, get an early start, which this this particular group didn't. Yeah, Angela's group didn't start until nine a.m. Yeah. That's not- that's not an early start. That's a that's a pretty late start. Right. I mean, was that and that was starting at the base of the route, or was that starting to that's, hike in? That's starting to hike in. So that's that's you know, from uh, the trailhead down in Yosemite Valley. Right. Starting on the trail at nine a.m., getting to the base of the route at eleven thirty in the morning, only to find another party of three just starting on the first pitch. So they actually didn't even get off of the ground until 1 p.m. Right. And uh, at that that time of year, 5 o'clock is, is sunset. That's, that's almost dark at that point. And then to bring two ropes, because even even if you think there's no potential for you having a bail, you, you can't predict the future for one. And, and why not bring two ropes? It's training weight. And there's no right. reason not to. Right. You can bring it, you know, just a tagline, an eight, eight mil that you can just use for, for a pull rope. It doesn't have to be a full, full size, that 70 meter rope. You can just bring, you know, a 60 meter eight mil rope. It's not, not a lot of extra weight, but I, I advise that on, on any route you're going to do from the nose in a day to snake deck. You always want to have a, an option to bail if things don't go well. Because if you don't have that with you, then you're setting yourself up for the for an accident or for you know having to leave a ton of gear or for potentially needing a rescue. And uh, yeah, that's something that even you know I almost always have a plan for retreat for descending if if I need to. Hey, thanks, Jesse, again for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's been my pleasure. So another thing that you can do to prevent an accident like this from happening to you is to learn about your climbing partner. In this particular instance, the approach was three to five hours into just the base of the climb. Think about that. That's three to five hours of potential conversation you can have with your partner about skills, experience they have, different scenarios that may come up on the wall, bailout plans, the weather. I mean, I don't know what else you're talking about on the approach, but that's what I would talk about. Here are a few more thoughts from Jesse's analysis in the 2016 edition of Accidents in North American Climbing. At the anchor from which she fell, Angela attempted to clip into only one bolt with a single anchoring system before detaching herself from the rope. A fundamental principle of anchoring is redundancy. In this instance, having a separate sling independently clipped between her harness and a bolt would likely have prevented her death. 
Other factors may have contributed to the accident, including lack of sleep and using her cell phone. So with the available evidence, we can only speculate about the exact mechanism for Angela's anchoring system failure. But we have factors, and those factors definitely increase the possibility of a critical incident. During the first week of climbing, we learn about redundant anchor systems, and we must continue to use them. Regardless of experience, watch what your partner is doing. Jesse says, if you see something that doesn't look right, then speak up. Thanks again, Jesse, for being on the show. And thanks to all the listeners out there who continue to encourage me to pursue this project. If you'd like to be on the sharp end to educate adventurers on previous incidents, please send me an email at accidents at americanalpineclub.org. You can even be anonymous. But please help me spread awareness so we can minimize these incidents together. Until next time, play hard and be smart.